We've been in a series on worship. Of course, it's been a few weeks since we were since we've been in it. Uh, we had camp. We had a missionary. We had Bible school, um, and I mean, just a few things going on. And uh, we'll be finishing this up not tonight. Probably a t- two or three more messages on Wednesdays on biblical worship. And uh, so I really just need to start here in John 4, and then we'll turn over to Malachi chapter 1. So it says in John 4, these are the words of Jesus Christ, uh, talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. It says in verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in, what are the two words? And in truth, right? Spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in, what are the words? Spirit and in truth. And and we won't read Malachi right now, but last time that we were in this series, we talked about the importance of those two words and how we ought to worship in spirit and in truth. And I'm going to give you a recap of what we mean when we say spirit, and then we'll move then into the thought of worshiping God in truth And tonight, the message is very simple. It's just sincere worship. Sincere worship. And how we need sincere worship, because I don't know if it's like this for you. I've been coming to church a long time. And it's very easy for me to look like I'm worshiping and not sincerely worship. And we need to be careful of that as we try to worship the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help him, or ask him to help us tonight. Father, we need you We pray for your wisdom and your help, your spirit to move in our midst, God. We pray that you'd illuminate God's word and help us to see where we fall short and where we need to change. God, I pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, We'll be, you can go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 1. We'll be there here in just a few moments. Um, Let me give you just uh, some recap of last time. Last time, the idea that we talked about was is what is the requirement for worship and we started in John 4 how Jesus said you ought to worship in spirit and in truth and and the Bible definition of worship almost always first always almost always means bowing and and we sometimes we we kind of define worship however we want to define worship but if we're going to be biblical which that's what we claim to be then we ought to go to the Bible and have no preconceived ideas about what worship really is. The physical posture, if you read the Old Testament particularly, the physical posture of worship was almost always on your face. Even in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, almost it's on your face before God. The physical posture lends or or adds to the definition of worship. Second, the best New Testament summary of worship is, is found in John 4 when Jesus said, they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And so last time we looked at the word spirit and, and we focused on the idea that worship must be spiritual. Uh, it, it's spirit. If you're going to worship in spirit, that implies spirituality. That implies um, that, that there is something genuine going on. It's not just outward form or motions. Uh, we, we looked at Isaiah 29, 13, which Jesus Christ himself actually quoted. Isaiah said, this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. Ezekiel in 33, 31 said, they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, 
but their heart goeth after their covetousness. It just reminded me, I was hoping the guys would put the Love Works banner back up, and they did this week. I was waiting to see how long it would take them. A little bit longer than I was hoping, but they noticed. Um, Love Works is our theme, and, and if you think about our theme, Love Works, we, we know our, the idea of love is it's an action, that you're doing something, but there's not just action involved. God's not just concerned with what we do. He is concerned also in why we do it. And so he said, they hear thy words, but will not do them. Um, Ezekiel said, for with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. It's possible to have works of love and have a heart that's going a different direction. See, everything man does tends to degenerate, doesn't it? Everything that we do starts out good and ends up getting worse and worse, which is a good reason not to believe in the lie of evolution. Because evolution says it started off in chaos, it started off disorganized, but it's all getting better and it just keeps getting better and better. Well, I don't know what news they're reading, but if you look around, things are not getting better. Uh, things get worse and worse until Jesus Christ comes and sets everything back in order for good. Ultimately, though, worship is no exception and that even worship degenerates from its original intention. See, God has given us a high standard for worship, but our human tendency is to replace it by going through the motions. And if you wonder, you know, I'm not really sure, what's the time frame? How long does it take for worship to get worse? Well, just go back to Genesis and acknowledge that when God, after they sinned in the garden, Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. They had two sons named Cain and Abel. I was just making sure you're awake. Uh, not, I, I really did remember, in case you were wondering, oh, he doesn't know their names, poor guy. No, their names were Cain and Abel. That's the next chapter. And they had already, Cain had already turned worship into something it shouldn't have been. So before you think that, well, we don't need to worry about worship, we're connected to the Bible and we know the routine. No, we all need to worry about the de degeneracy or the, the devolving, if you might want to call it that, of worship. Um, God is concerned not only with what we do, but how we do it. And, and he is looking for spiritual worshipers. And, and that was the idea last time, that the spiritual condition of the worshiper determines whether or not our, that worship is acceptable to the Father. In other words, you don't get to just come in and go through the motions of worship and God's like, well, you know, their heart's full of sin, but I give them a pass. No, your spiritual condition determines whether or not your worship is acceptable to the Father. So you, you can't just come in how you want to come and do it how you want to do it. God is looking for certain things, but he's also looking for the worshipers to be a certain condition. And we tend to replace genuine worship with tradition. And Jesus even said in Luke 16, 15, ye are they which justify yourselves before men. This is a neat verse. I mean, very eye-opening. He said, but God knoweth your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. He said, you're doing all these things and you're doing them to impress men and men are impressed. I mean, it's easy to be impressed with the real impressive worship. I mean, when I turn on the television and I see these mega churches and, and there's stadiums full of people and the lights and the technology and the choirs and everything they've got going on, it's impressive. But it's possible, according to Luke 6, 15, 16, 15, it's possible to have those things 
Be highly esteemed among men, but be an abomination in the sight of God. And we value certain things to impress each other, but God isn't always impressed. It's not guaranteed. That means that our singing may never reach his ears. And that means that our prayers may only be heard by the people around us. And it it could be that our bowing, even though that's an act of worship, our bowing may not please God and give him glory at all because our heart condition determines whether or not our worship is received. So do we attempt to worship without first being spiritual people? It's not possible, according to John 4. We must worship in spirit and in truth. And that question then leads to the second part. That's just the review. That worship should not just be in spirit. It should be in truth. Another word for truth is it should be sincere. It should be genuine. Uh, Our worship must not only be guided by the truth of God's word, but it must be presented in a sincere way. It, It ought to be real. See, something true is sincere, it's genuine, and genuine worship cannot exist alongside hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy in any shape or form. Unfortunately, though, we find ourselves having to make up for our lack of spirituality with hypocrisy, meaning that we know there's a gap. I know that I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I say I'm here, but I'm I'm supposed to be up here, and I fill that gap in with something. And typically, if you've been in church any length of time, it's not hard to fill in the gap. You know what to do. You know how to look. You know what to say. You, You know the words. You know the songs. And it's easy to fill in the gap. Last week, I preached a message at youth camp. Um, with the young people on Tuesday night um, out of John 7 and I said here's a lie teenagers believe that familiarity equals faith that Jesus own brothers it says had not yet believed in him and they grew up in the same house and so many of us we've grown up with Jesus and we know the answers and we could win the bible quizzes and I wish we had sword drills don't you wouldn't that be fun I think the standing up would be a little bit slower, like a lot of snap, crackles, and pops going on, like Rice Krispies. Anyway, okay, so, you know, uh, we know the words, and we know the, the answers, and we know the trivia, and we know where the books of the Bible are, um, but sometimes we lean on what, we, what we've experienced to fill the gap in between where we are spiritually and where we want, we want people to think we are spiritually, and that gap tends, you know, familiarity, we tend to throw in this kind of a bridge. We're bridging the gap between what we are and what we're supposed to be. And the Bible calls that, God calls it hypocrisy or, or a whited sepulchers. He got all, all over the Pharisees for it. And, and I want you to see the connection between if you are not worshiping as a spiritual person, then you will find yourself not being able to worship in sincerity because you're doing it with hypocrisy if you're not who you are over here you'll make up for it and find yourself missing both of them so Paul gives three categories of man Uh, he he talks about there's the natural man and the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God this is the unregenerate person who's incapable of understanding divine things he's incapable of pleasing God we would say that the natural man is the lost person 
But there's also then, on the other end of the spectrum, there's the spiritual man. And the spiritual man is born again. The spiritual man is indwelt by the Spirit of God. He has a mindset to please the Lord. And I would hope and say that most people in this room tonight, especially being here on a Wednesday night, you're a spiritual people. At least you're striving to be spiritual. But then there's also, though, in the middle. So over here, you might have the natural man. Over here, you have the spiritual man. And right in the middle here, you might then would call this the carnal man. And the carnal man is born again, does have the Holy Spirit indwelling him. This person, though, lives in the energy of their flesh instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're earthly-minded instead of being heavenly-minded. And unfortunately, too many believers operate right here in the middle. That we're not lost, but we're also not spiritual. We're carnal. Our mindset is carnal. Our words, our thoughts, our actions. So Paul deals with that issue in the book of 1 Corinthians. And see, the church at Corinth was full of carnal believers. They were, that was the norm in Corinth. And it impacted everything, including their worship. So, I mean, they would come together for the Lord's Supper. And it would be a big party. Uh, they would get together for services. And they, everyone would want to sing their own song. Everyone would want to get up and prophesy in their own tongue. Everyone would want to get up and have a word of prophecy. And they weren't edifying each other. They were all about themselves. It was all about me and building up themselves instead of edifying other people. Listen, it takes work to be spiritual. And it's, it's easier to be carnal. I think we would all say that our default position, if, even if we're not lost, great. But our default position is right here. Like, we have to work to not be carnal. And unless we're willing to say no to self and yes to God during the week, then we're not going to say yes to genuine worship on Sundays. You know, the idea at Men's Advance, and we talked about this a few weeks ago down in Stillwater Men's Advance, the idea came up about the one brain concept, and that is that you only have one brain. You say, well, I only have a half a brain. Well, it's still just one brain, okay? And if your condition, if you condition your brain to think and be a certain way Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday till 7, then Thursday and Friday and Saturday all day. Don't expect to come in and be different on Sunday. You, you can't listen, and, and I know this is like a no-no. You don't, nobody talks about this anymore, but I think we ought to be careful of it. You can't listen to carnal worldly music all week and expect to come in and be, receive a blessing from godly music. And I, I don't think, I'm not above talking about worldly music. Uh, we need to talk about it more. Because I don't think we understand how much it vexes our soul through the week. Uh, and I mean, just to listen to music, that do, not even just the lyrics, but the music just kind of feeds our flesh. If we're in the, in the habit of feeding our flesh all week, don't expect to come in and really be moved or blessed by a special sung to the Lord here at Eastside on Sunday morning. You can't live in the flesh all week and expect to be spiritual on Sundays. You can't pursue uh, lusts during the week and expect to come in and be content with, with what goes on, on in a service. Because you're always looking for something new, something bigger, something uh, to fill your flesh. And, and it doesn't happen. See, when we're not spiritual, it causes us to be insincere because we have to make up for what we lack. Carnality is counterfeit spirituality. It pretends, it substitutes, and, it's, and it pretends to be something that's real and exchanges it for something 
really, it's something fake, but, it's, but we're, we're, we're trying to make it look real. We fake enthusiasm. We, we pretend to be emotional uh, or plugged in. We put on a show of zeal and love, and carnality leads to hypocrisy because we have to pretend. And if our brain is trained to be those spiritual, there will be need, no need to pump up the worship and there will be no need to manufacture excitement because we will be a church that is practiced in communion with God. And if you are a spiritual person who through the week works on your spiritual life with God, then you don't have to pretend. When you come in on Sunday, it's real, it's genuine. Now, I'm not saying that you wake up, or that I wake up even every Sunday morning just, man, I'm so excited about church. There are some days I would say, I would rather be sleeping. But as a matter of obedience, I'm going to get up and I'm going to be here. But I'm, it's not always, um, I'm not always doing cartwheels when I come to church. It's like, Pastor, can you do a cartwheel? I can. I choose not to. Because I don't want you to think I'm a hypocrite. So... It's got to be genuine, okay? in this spirit, in the moment when it happens. So, no, but you have to, I mean, we have to be careful to think, well, I didn't feel like it, therefore there must be something really wrong with me. No, that's, that's just part of being human. No, and so, so don't say, well, you know, I read my Bible and I prayed on Monday through Saturday and I still woke up feeling crummy on Monday, on Sunday. Well, that, that's fine, that happens. Um, but can you imagine how much worse it would be if you hadn't put in the effort Monday through Saturday? So, so we've got to train our brain to be spiritual if we want to come in and be spiritual on Sundays. Uh, when we're not spiritual, we have to pretend. And the Lord, the Lord got after the Pharisees more than anybody else in Scripture because they were hypocrites. And the word sincere in Latin literally means without wax. And that sculptures, they would sometimes, uh, they would patch their pottery or their, their images out of stone. They would put wax to fill in the cracks so people wouldn't see it. But as that, that statue or that pot set out in the sun, the sun would melt the wax and the cracks would be revealed. And so these, the sculptors then would put these, this term on the, on the pottery and they would, it would say, seen Sarah, which means without wax... But it's where we get our word sincere. It means it's without wax. We're not filling in the gaps with anything. It's absolutely sincere. I'm not saying we're perfect. But I am saying in, in general, as a rule, we're not faking it. We are spiritual. We're doing our best to be spiritual. And therefore, we're not, uh, we're not faking it. It's sincere worship. But I just want to read some to you about the unfortunate problem of insincere worship and it's always been an issue for God's people. And you may say, well, I don't have an issue with this. I always come ready to go. You're better than most people. Good for you. I'm glad. Uh, but don't get too proud about it. Because as soon as you do, you'll find yourself one Sunday faking it. And then you'll realize that was easier. And don't, you know, so, so be careful um, to think that it can't happen to you. But I'd like to read some verses. We'll read quite a bit of scripture then. Um, for the rest of the message in Malachi chapter 1 is where I'd like to start. This is God speaking through the prophet Malachi. This is after the children of Israel, or Judah I should say, has returned from exile in Babylon. So they've already gone through the very difficult slavery, bondage in Babylon. 
They were removed from their homes. They've come back. They've tried to rebuild the temple, tried to rebuild Jerusalem. You would think they've learned their lesson, right? I mean, if God carried all of us away to a, a foreign country and we went to we went to North Korea for 25 years and we struggled and toiled and, we, and, and the whole time, you know what I'd be thinking? If this happened to us because we weren't sincere, I'd be thinking if I ever get a chance again, God, I'm going to be so sincere. I, you'll be the first thing in my life. I mean, I'm going to be real next time. And God brings us back and we're excited for a Sunday. Well, after a few weeks, you know what? Guess what? We're going right back to the old ways. That's kind of what happened here. Look what Malachi chapter 1, it says in, in verse 7. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? I, I, what have we done wrong? Well, in that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. It's an attitude they had toward worship. They said, they were just tired of it. They had an issue with it. And if ye offer, verse 8, if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? He's talking about uh, blind animals. If ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. So here he, he says the priests were offering these defiled sacrifices to God. And they were, they were supposed to be offering the best. But the people were bringing, you know, okay, it's time to sacrifice. And I've got two lambs. One's very healthy and strong. One's blind. He's not going to do much good. He probably won't live long. That's the one I'm going to give to God. So they take that lamb down to the temple. The priest sacrifices it and brings it to God. Well, God, though, made it very clear that he deserves our best. I mean, he deserves our first fruit. He deserves our very best. But they were bringing animals that were blind and lame and sick. Not only that, then the priests had a bad attitude. The table was contemptible. They were content. They had bad attitudes about their responsibilities. They were like, well, they're bringing all these bad animals. Anyway, why are we doing this? What's going on? Like, why, can we just give up on this? So God says, you wouldn't give that to your political leaders. I mean, you wouldn't take second best and give it to somebody that's over you. Like, if your boss um, asked you for a gift, you wouldn't take a broken gift. You would take your best gift. So why would you offer your second best to me? Are we giving God our second best when it comes to worship? See, I, I really, and I'm thankful for this. There are people in this room that give 100% to work. Like you are all in when it comes to work. And that's great. It's not a problem. That's how we should be because it's a good testimony. But if you're giving 100% to work and Wednesday nights, you're giving 60% to worship. That's where God says the problem comes if work is winning out over Wednesday night worship, or if work is winning out, winning out you get 100% to work, but you give 75% on Sundays. I mean, can you, can you see the disparity and how, how that's a problem? I, I give 100% to work, but if you're going to do right by God, give 100% to God too. Give him your very best, and you say, well, I can't really do both and do both well. We'll figure out a way to start by putting God first. And he'll bless the rest of it, I tell you. So that's what he says. Don't give your best. Teens, I mean, if you pay attention, hopefully you pay attention in school, you know, do you? I don't know. Do you pay attention to school? If you do and you do well and you try your best, pay at least that good of attention or really better attention when somebody opens God's word because that's eternally helpful. 
I mean, you, you know, Brother Samuel, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not disrespectful to your teachers at school, then don't be dis disrespectful when Brother Samuel opens God's word on Sunday mornings. Pay attention, sit up, bring a Bible. Bring a Bible, bring a pen, bring a notebook, and pay attention. Don't give God our second best. That's what he says. Verse 9, look, what it, look at it, Malachi 1. And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath, been, this hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. So God thought it would be better. Here's what he's saying. He said it would be better to shut the doors of the temple than to continue worthless worship. Might as well just shut the doors. Can you imagine God saying that about Eastside Baptist Church? I'd rather shut the church doors than accept the half-baked worship those folks are offering up. You know, there's no pleasure to God in insincere worship. And God says, I won't go without worship. And if you, my people, and this is new, good news for us, bad news for the children of Israel. He says, if you, my people, called by my name, won't give me worship, I'm, I will find it among the Gentiles. And he has, hopefully. And he expanded his reach and he extended his arm of grace to us Gentiles. And now we have an opportunity to worship. And we should not take for granted the fact that we have that opportunity. And how sad if we turn around and do the same thing that God's people, the, the children of Israel did. And that we give him half-baked worship. Not sincere, not real, not passionate. We see here that promise, it's a blessing for us, but it's so sad for Judah. There's no reason, though, that God can't look. If you read the book of Revelation, there are those churches that weren't doing right by the Lord. He said, I will remove your candlestick. Let's not get to the place where God has to say, you'd be better off shutting the doors. Look at verse 12. But ye have profaned it in that ye say, the table of the Lord is polluted. And the fruit thereof, even as meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. You have snuff that's scoffed. You know, it's kind of the kind of thing a teenager or your kids will do sometimes. You know, whatever, whatever the word is or the sound is. You snuffed at it. I do it too. Saith the Lord of hosts. You brought that which was torn and the lame and the sick. Thus you brought an offering. And should I accept this of your hand? Saith the Lord. Their selfish and insincere worship was unsatisfying not just to God. It was unsatisfying to them. They weren't getting anything out of it. I mean, even their attitude. It's not that they came in and they were like, hey, look at this animal. Look at the sacrifice we're bringing. Isn't this fun? No, they're like, here we go again. No, their half-baked, insincere worship was not just unsatisfying to God. It was unsatisfying to them. They weren't getting anything out of it. They weren't enjoying it. It wasn't meaningful for them. They weren't content with it. That's what happens. It, it, be, it grows empty. When you come and you go through the motions and there's not anything real about it, you won't be, you won't be content. You're not going to be satisfied. It's hollow. You'll grow weary from it. Verse 14. 
But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and valeth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. He says you're cursed if you have a proper animal sacrifice and you choose to bring less than your best. And here's why he says because I'm a great king. This is not egotistical. This is not him being a diva. No, he's saying, no, this is, the, this is justice. This is what I deserve. I'm a holy, righteous God. And you ought to bring something that is appropriate for a king as great as I am. That's what he says. You know, he deserves the best. When we offer shallow, insincere worship to God, we are dishonoring God. Turn over to Amos chapter 5. Amos, it's to the left, probably not as many pages over as you think. These minor prophets aren't real long. Amos chapter 5, we'll read some verses out of here as well. Amos chapter 5, still turning a few, you, you just lost the sword drill, sorry. Amos chapter 5 verse 21 it says I hate I despise your feast days and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings I will not accept them neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts take thou away from me the noise of thy songs for I will not hear the melody of thy vials but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream you know when he says, I hate your feast days? You know in today's vernacular, you know what he would be saying? He's like, I hate Sundays. Here's God. I mean, he's talking about the solemn assemblies, the feast days that he implemented, that they were supposed to come out together as a nation and, and meet and, and, and do this in, in his honor and for him. And he says, I started it and I hate it. I hate Sundays. You know, do we worship in such a way that, that God anticipates our worship or that he dreads meeting us? I mean, though, he said, though you offer me burnt offerings and meat offerings, I will not accept them. He says, take thou away from the, me the noise of thy songs. He says, I will not hear the melody of thy vials. You can sing all you want to. I don't want to hear it. It's so insincere and it's so hollow that I just want you to stop. You know, tonight we sang, set my soul afire. And, and there's a lot of good, rich uh, words. Really, that's a very convicting song because it's a prayer to God, basically to say, God, I am not on fire and I need your zeal to eat me up and burn me within me again. And you know what? I imagine, I, I don't know because I would not want to guess this, but knowing myself, I would say that there's a good percentage of people in our church that sang every word of that song and never once thought, God, would you do this for me? I mean, I do it too. I'm not, I'm not trying to say, well, it's you, it's you, it's you. I'm saying, I know human nature. I know myself. The, the, the most important prayer of my, off my lips from my heart today should be, God, give me zeal. Help it to be real. But, but I went through that song and there was a few lines. I would have to remind myself to think about it again. It can happen. And if we do it long enough, I wonder if God thinks, just stop singing. Just stop with the vials and the, and the instruments. Just stop. It's so insincere. It's hollow. It's doing nothing. 
And I hope that's not us. I hope that the very feast, I mean the very feast which God had given them explicit instructions to observe through hypocrisy became an offense to him. Their outward religion exchange, was exchanged for something fake. Or for something, you know, their, their sincere religion was exchanged for something fake. And so what can we learn? Well, that right doctrine and religion are poor substitutes for holiness. Meaning that we can have the right doctrine and we can have the right, I mean, we're independent Baptists, we're thankful for that. Doesn't mean we got it all together. Those are poor substitutes for holiness. I mean, the reason that, that he was so upset with them was, was, was their heart condition. Look at verse 14 of Amos 5. Seek good and not evil that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. You know, God is looking for consistency. And, he, and here's, here's the problem, okay, just to illustrate this tonight. We, we often live on opposite extremes. And, and there's too large a gap between what we say and what we know we're supposed to be. And so this is where we are. But this, this is where we're supposed to be. And so on Sundays, we know where we are, but we're supposed to be over here. And we're running back and forth, just trying to keep up. Now, I'm singing a song, but when I'm done, I'm right back over here in my carnal mind. Well, I've got to get up and sing in a choir, so I'll run over here. But as soon as I'm done, I'm right back over here. And I've got to teach a class, but I've got to run back over here. And we're running back and forth. And I'm just telling you, it's much easier just to be who you're supposed to be. I mean, you won't get as many steps in. That was pretty good. But I'm telling you, it's, just better, it's better to just be who you're supposed to be. It's weariness. You cannot keep up with hypocrisy. If you live in the extremes, you wear yourself out. And, and what he was saying through the prophets over and over is this. If you're going to worship, be real. Worship in spirit and in truth. I mean, think about what he said in Isaiah. We want, let's go ahead and turn there. Isaiah. This is our last passage. Isaiah chapter 1. Just make sure I had it right. Isaiah chapter 1. And if you don't think that worship was a big deal to God, a lot of times in these prophets, I mean, he starts the book out by calling out their worship. Like that was how he was judging or measuring their spiritual condition. Look what he says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11. It says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I, I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or, uh, or he goats. Look at verse 13. Bring no more vain oblations, incenses and abomination unto me, the new moons and sabbaths, the calling of assemblies I cannot away with. It's, I've had enough. He says, it's iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them, he says. God hated their worship. Why? Well, because they weren't dealing with their sins. They were worshiping uncleanly. They were worshiping without sincerity. Look at verse 15. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. 
put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Do you get the idea that if they had simply confessed their sin and, and made things right, confessed and repented of their sin, God said, if you'll do this, ye shall eat of the good of the land. He hadn't written them off yet. But because they continue to be in their sin, David even said, he said, thou desires truth in the inward parts. God is not just interested in what you do. He is not just interested in the fact that you can sing. Now, we've got great singers and great talent here. He's not just interested in that. It is more to him that you are right with him, with sin confessed and repented, than, than that you can carry a tune and move people with your voice. And he's not just interested in the fact that you've got a lot of hats at church. You know, yeah, I teach Sunday school and I, I help in junior church and I'm helping on the bus and this and that. I do this and that. Yeah, I mean, that may be something other men esteem. But if in your heart there is a heart of sin that remains unconfessed and unrepentant, God cannot accept that worship. I mean, we can go through the list of all the things that people do. You're a greeter. If your heart is, is full of unrepented sin, then God can accept your worship. I mean, if you help with the offering and have sin in your heart, he says, come now, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. They shall be white as snow. I won't turn you away. All I'm asking is that you humble yourself on your face before me, confess your sins, repent of your sin, and if you will do that, I will accept your worship. That's all I'm looking for. He doesn't ask for the most talented and the most impressive. He wants people that are repentant, humble. And, and here's where it comes down. It just all comes down to this thought here tonight. That the holiness of the one being worshipped demands holiness in the heart of his worshipers. The holiness of the one being worshipped demands holiness in the heart of his worshipers. Listen, if he was just some idol, some random god... It wouldn't really matter what we did during the week. But we are worshiping the one true holy God who created the heaven and the earth and he is sinless and without ever, he's never once um, done anything that would be considered unrighteous. Because that's the God we come to worship, then that raises the bar of the kind of life and holiness and righteousness we're supposed to be living. As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. We must be before we can come in here and do. We must be righteous, re confessed, repentant before we can come in and worship our God. How does your life compare to the holiness of the God you're trying to worship? How inconsistent are you between what you say and what you really are? I mean, when you come in on Sundays, is there, are you trying to fill in this major gap between what you really are during the week but what people expect of you on Sundays? Could God be genuinely worshipped by you based on how you speak the rest of the week? 
Could God be genuinely pleased with your worship based on the jokes that you tell or laugh at, young people, when you're around your friends? Could God be genuinely worshipped by the entertainment that you turned on or listened to yesterday or Monday? Could God be genuinely worshipped here on Sunday um, based on how you deal with your spouse the rest of the week? The things that you look at, the things that you text, the places you go, the habits that you have. You say, well, this sounds like a teenager kind of message. You know, you're getting really specific. Well, sometimes we need to get specific, even as adults, probably all the time. And it's not just the young people that have these issues. Listen, the reason I'm doing this as your pastor, I mean, my desire is to prepare you for the judgment seat of Christ. And, and there are going to be times where I may preach something, you're like, well, I don't really like that you're talking about music. Well, what I'm trying to do is help you to, to understand, I don't want you to live a whole life where you find out at the end that your worship, none of it mattered or counted. Because you didn't realize that in order to worship a holy God, that I've got to be holy too. I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to get down to the end of your life and recognize that you really missed the boat on these things. No, the holiness of the one being worshipped demands holiness in the heart of his worshipers. And if you remember that, then you can apply this yourself. You can say, you know what, you don't have to walk through it for me, Pastor. I appreciate it, but I've got areas I know. It's clear to me already the areas that I need to take a step up in and be holy because God is holy. And if I'm going to worship him in a way that he receives then I must be holy too. If we're going to worship, let's do it in spirit and in truth. I hope you under, if we understand that in spirit means we've got to be spiritual, in truth we, means we must be sincere, and the two are connected. If we're not spiritual, we can't be sincere. We'll make up for where we aren't with hypocrisy. And, and worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm telling you, we'll... Like, like he told Amos, the, the, the folks in Amos, no, he told them right here in Isaiah. He said, if ye be willing and obedient, he said, ye shall eat of the good of the land. Meaning he is more than ready to reconcile the relationship and come back together and give us the meaningful, content, satisfying life that we all desire to have. So how's your worship? Is it spiritual and is your worship sincere? I hope that it is. And if it's not, let's do business with the Lord tonight, especially regarding our level of holiness, because the Holy One that we're worshiping deserves holy worshipers. Let's stand together. Thank you for your attention tonight. I'm going to have the piano play and Brother Jacob sing a, a couple verses of invitation. I'm going to pray. And if the Lord's worked on your heart um, about this tonight, why don't we do business with God? Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the truth. And there's a lot here and a lot more we could talk about. But I think this is a message that people that have been doing it a long time probably need to hear. Because it really is easy to fill the gap in with things that we are familiar with but don't necessarily, necessarily reflect a spiritual mindset. And I don't want you, I don't want to bring worship to you, God, that is simply born out of my experience. That I can, I can make, make, up, make it up, Lord. I don't want that. I, I want you to have worship from all of us um, that comes because we're spiritual people. And we sincerely desire to worship the God who deserves our very best. God, help us not to give you second best. Help us not to give you last minute. Help us to give you all that you deserve because you are a great and holy God. Pray that you bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen.